Hey, Easter is rocking around again. In my case, this is my 63rd Easter. I know some of you have had many more Easter's. I'm looking at the Willses and, and Marion. No, I won't embarrass anyone. Some of you have had a lot more Easter's than me. But this is only my 27th Easter as a believer, as someone who believes in Jesus Christ. That being said, the Easter story is one that we all know so well. It's central to our faith as Christians in Jesus Christ. In fact, we know it so well, we've got our rituals and we go through the motions, it's really easy to skate through the Easter with a bit of extra chocolate, Louise. Right? Louise is well known for her chocolate addiction. And so are some of the rest of us. And just head through Easter and forget about it. So for many Christians, though, come on, let's be honest. For many people who believe in Jesus, following Jesus some days doesn't seem to be all that it's cracked up to be. Amen? Some days are hard. Some seasons are hard. And maybe on this Palm Sunday, when we look at the story of Jesus entering Jerusalem for that last time on his way to the cross, Maybe we can think about our expectations of Easter. What we expect of Easter, what we expect of Jesus, what we expect of following him here on this earth. Because I suspect some of the time our, our sense that it's not all that it's cracked up to be is as a result of a mismatch of expectations. So let's dive into that. But before we do, let's pray. Father... As we open your word, as we look at this Palm Sunday story yet again, Lord, we just ask that you would open our hearts and give us eyes to see and give us ears to hear what this incredible journey to the cross was all about. Lord, touch our hearts with your word. Change our lives by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as we look at this story, Palm Sunday, the risk is that we look at it through our eyes. But remember, we know how Easter played out. We know how it ended on the cross, the empty tomb, the resurrection. We know what is to come. But the players in this Easter story, the people that were there at the time, other than Jesus, had no idea how this was going to pan out. People had some hopes, people had some dreams, but they didn't know how it was going to pan out. So can you just put aside the fact that you know how this story ends and put yourself in the sandals of the people who were there and look at it through their eyes. Now, the context. A few weeks ago, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. We don't know exactly how long, but the way John writes the story, it's not that long ago. A few days, a few weeks, maybe a month. Have you ever seen anyone raised from the dead? Just quickly, anyone? Yeah, Martin, me neither. So if you'd have been there when Lazarus was raised from the dead and he'd been dead in the tomb for three days and his sister said, don't roll the stone back because he's going to be smelly and then saw the stone rolled back and Lazarus walk out, would you have been amazed? I think so. I think we would have had our socks blown off, right? So Lazarus' resurrection was amazing and there were a whole bunch of people that were there who saw that. They were amazed, but the Pharisees and the Sadducees, eh, not so much. 
John chapter 11, verses 45 onwards. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary, that's Lazarus' sister, and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin, the ruling religious body of Israel. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone's going to believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away our temple and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. He said, you know nothing at all. You don't realize that it's better for you that one man dies for the people than the whole nation perish. He didn't say this on his own. But as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God. To bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness, to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for the ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus, and, and they stood in the temple courts, and they asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report him that they might arrest him. So there's the scene, painting the picture just before he comes into Israel, into Jerusalem on the back of that donkey. Why did the people believe in him? Because they'd either seen or they'd heard that he raised Lazarus from the dead. And a whole bunch of these people who were gathering for the Passover, all the Jews would come to Jerusalem for the Passover, had seen some of the miracles he'd done. Maybe some of them were amongst the 5,000 whom he fed with two fishes and, and five loaves. They'd heard, they'd seen, and they believed in him because of what he had done. The chief priests, on the other hand, their power base was threatened. If we let this guy keep going, everyone's going to follow him. As though that's somehow a bad thing. Isn't that how people in power can often behave? And then Caiaphas, the high priest. It, the irony of this is just, it's thick with irony. He's saying, let's kill him. Let's, let's do away with him. That's what he was saying there. But John records this as a prophecy, this double meaning, that he was actually speaking that Jesus would be crucified for us, not knowing that that's what he was saying. They were plotting to kill him. Why did Jesus not move around publicly? Why did he hide at Ephraim? Was he scared? No. The time hadn't come. It wasn't yet time for the Passover. So Jesus laid low with his disciples and people came for the Passover, this big annual celebration, and that expectation, do you think Jesus is coming? I don't know. I haven't seen him. Have you seen him? The buzz. This, this man who's just raised Lazarus from the dead. Could you imagine wanting to kill a man who's just raised someone from the dead? Would you want to do that? Not me. 
So the power base was threatened. Jesus was in hiding. There's a huge expectation. There's, there's wheels within wheels. The air is thick with an assassination plot. Now comes the ride into Jerusalem. That's the scene. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. The buzz went out. The word went out. So they took palm branches and went to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What's Hosanna? It's this expression of exuberance and praise and, and joy. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the king of Israel. This crowd shouted. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples didn't understand all this. It was only after Jesus was glorified that they realized that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done by him. Now, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they heard that he performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees looked at one another and said, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So let's put ourselves in the sandals of, of, of that crowd. We're, we're the crowd. We're standing there with our, our palm branches and, and throwing our cloak down, which was a sign of great honour to someone. We don't really know what's going on. We don't know what's going on in the Pharisee's head. We don't know that there's an assassination plot. All we know is that I've either seen or I know someone who has seen him raise someone from the dead. So this expectation is at fever pitch. Better go and see. What's this all about? Let's go to the parade. Coats, palm tree or trees. Blessed is the king of Israel. What were they expecting? What was their expectation of the king of Israel? Well, that bit about the donkey was a prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, in what we now call the Old Testament. Your king will come riding on a donkey. He was claiming to be the king. By getting on that donkey and riding into Jerusalem, he was very clearly claiming to be the king of Israel. Can you imagine Jesus riding a donkey? It's kind of like the President of the United States going to a major parade in the back of a mini moke. Right? This wasn't a horse, which is a beast of burden and a beast of war. This was a donkey. It's almost comical, which is a symbol of peace. See, they were expecting a king like King David of old, a warrior king, someone that was finally going to boot these wretched Romans out of Israel. Israel had been occupied as long as anyone could remember. In fact, there would only been about 100 years before this when they were free. The rest of the time they'd been occupied. They were sick of it. They were sick of the Romans. Finally, God's going to kick these people out. Blooming Romans. And it was a brutal rule. You, you can understand. You, let's not be critical of them. They didn't know what was going on. They didn't know what we know. 
They didn't know how it was going to end. They just wanted freedom. So they were expecting a Davidic warrior. But Jesus came on a donkey as the Prince of Peace. And right there was their mismatch of expectations. Yes, this man who raised Lazarus had power. But power for what? Well, if he can raise this guy from the dead, he can root the Romans out. So that's what they're hoping for. Jesus deliberately rides into this. Jesus knows where he's going. Jesus is heading to the cross. This is so counterintuitive. Come on, you and me, if if we knew there was a crucifixion at the other end of this, we'd probably be running the opposite way, wouldn't we? In fact, when there's any sort of discomfort involved in following Jesus, our first instinct is to go the other way. We don't like sacrifice by and large. We don't like doing stuff that's uncomfortable and inconvenient and painful and that hurts. Just think of the courage and the resolve and the love that it took for Jesus to ride into this assassination plot, deliberately inflaming the Pharisees more and giving the Romans something to think about because, remember, Caesar was the king. Caesar thought he was divine. And here's this this nobody claiming to be the king of Israel. Not even his disciples got it. They didn't get it even when he rose again in Acts chapter 2. When he, he rises again, they say, so when are you coming back to boot the Romans out? They never got it. You understand why the crowd reacted that way. We look at the Russia-Ukraine thing at the moment, and, and I think everybody just wants Ukraine to be free. We want this war to stop. We want this occupation to stop, right? It is not an unreasonable thing for them to want that. But they thought that Jesus was about their tribe beating the other tribe. About tribe Israel beating tribe Romans. We get pretty tribalistic too as Christians. We do. Those evil people out there, those sinners out there, the persecution that's coming, we can't speak freely. I tell you what, some of the stuff I read from Christians on Facebook makes me want to weep. A well-known Christian musician, a Facebook post, he has 735,000 followers, writes this. It's time for Christians to stand up for themselves and start boycotting people who disrespect our faith. 74,000 likes, 65,000 comments, 5,500 shares. Now, we kind of relate to that because we don't like our faith being assailed. We don't like being persecuted. We don't like being jammed and shut down, but that's what's going on. But did Jesus teach us to boycott the sinners? Is that what he's doing here? We're all tribalistic. We're part of Team Christian. Hey, when the cricket's on, my favorite hashtag is crush the palms. I mean, I mean that in a loving Christian sort of a way, right? But but we all have our favorite team. There's something about us that wants to support a cricket team or a football team or something. We all want to support something. We all want to be part of a tribe. 
It's tribe Christian against tribe heathen. Let's return this country to Christian values. We have to beat them. We have to win. But the last time I checked, Jesus didn't ride into Jerusalem in order to condemn the world. I came not to condemn the world, but to save it. And quite frankly, call me crazy if you want, many do, but if it wasn't Jesus' job description to condemn the world, then maybe it's not ours either. Maybe that's not what we're called to do. Maybe we're called to be part of his plan to save the world rather than people who condemn the world. A lot of research has been done about what, what people out there in, in the secular tribe think about Christians. You know, the, the biggest problem isn't that they don't know any Christians. The biggest problem is that they do know Christians and they don't like us because we're judgmental. That's what the surveys show. But Jesus wrote in there to give his life. And you know, this was a fickle fan base. These people along the road, Hosanna in the highest. The king of Israel is here. Hey, just a few days later, they were the same people who were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And those that weren't shouting that were too afraid to say anything in his favor. Back in John chapter 2, it says that Jesus didn't entrust himself to anyone. They all believed in him because of his signs and miracles, but he didn't entrust himself to anyone. Why? Because he knew what was in their hearts. So there's Jesus riding in on the donkey. These crowds are going wild and shouting. Isn't it easy to be seduced? Seduced by the acclamation of people. Seduced by people praising you and saying you're doing a wonderful job. And hey, there's, there's nothing wrong with a pat on the back. Job well done. That, that's okay. But all too often, we think that that's what life is about. But you see, this, this decision to ride in on that day on that donkey into his crucifixion is the turning point of the gospel. This is who God is. He didn't ride in there despite our sin. Brothers and sisters, he rode in there because of our sin. Out of his great love to save us and millions, nay billions of others who would put their faith in him. How easy is it to have wrong expectations of Jesus? And we know how it ends. Those people didn't. We know how it ends, yet still we say, oh God, um, please help me beat those terrible people out there. Please take this pain away. Please do this for me. And hey, there's nothing wrong with praying. There's nothing wrong with asking God and inviting God into our problems and into our struggles and into our pain. How often do we pray, Lord, take me to the cross. Show me what it is to sacrifice and to suffer for you. How often do we pray that? We have a website in our ministry called powerfulprayer.org. It's worth a visit. People from all around the world leave their prayer requests there, thousands of them. And you don't very often see someone saying, Lord, show me what it is to suffer for you. Show me what it is to be like Jesus. Now, there were some Greeks 
among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request, Sir, they said, we, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew, in turn, went to tell... Andrew and Philip, in turn, went to tell Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, what a weird statement is that? See, we think glory is the crowd cheering. Yay! That's glory in our book. When, when our team wins the grand final or the cup or the pennant or whatever it is, yay! They shake up the champagne, it goes everywhere and the stream has come. That's glory. But a number of times, Jesus refers to his crucifixion as being glorified. Now, this next bit, we, we tend to know pretty well, a lot of us, not everyone. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains but a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. This is why the gospel is so difficult for people to accept. Because the good news of Jesus is that he died for our sins on that cross. But then he calls us, when we believe in him, he calls us to something else. What does he call us to? Repentance. To turning. To taking up our cross and following him. We don't want to do that. It's not convenient. It's not comfortable. It's not fun. We would much rather sit in our comfortable Western lives. And yeah, there are probably some people struggling here, but by any stretch of the imagination, we are wealthy beyond measure in a global sense. And we don't want to take up our cross. We don't want to die to self. We don't want to be the seed that dies in order that it can multiply and share the good news of Jesus with many other people. The way you are called to do that is different to the way I'm called to do that. I look at the faces of some of the people in this room that I know pretty well, and you guys have some amazing gifts and abilities and resources and finances or whatever it is that God's blessed you with. But we don't want to go out of our way to serve other people. We just want Jesus to come in here and boot the Romans out of our lives, to come in here and defeat those evil people out there who are against the gospel and what we believe. There are whole organizations in this country, Christian organizations, that do that. And I'll tell you, I, I have a love-hate relationship with social media, but it provides a fascinating insight into the minds of Christians around the world. It's easy for us to read that verse. Anyone who loves their life will lose it while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. That's so easy to read. But it's so hard to do. 
And, and when I look at the whole Palm Sunday thing, I just contemplate that Jesus sat there in Ephraim waiting for the right time to ride in at the beginning of the Passover festival. And that he chose that deliberately. That blows my mind. It blows my heart open. And now, he's calling you and me to follow him to the cross. Not to complain about the sinners. Not to whinge about what's going on in the world. But to reach out and touch them and love them the way he's reached out and touched and loved us. You know what else blows my mind? I know I'm going a bit fast forward here. It blows my mind that on the night he was betrayed at the Passover meal, after they'd eaten, he washed how many pairs of feet? Twelve pairs of feet. All of his disciples. And that included Judas. That included the man that betrayed him unto death. That's the love that our Saviour has for us. Is it easy? No. John chapter 12, verse 27, 28. Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Jesus didn't run away. He rode into the battle. He was prepared to give it all. And where I am, he said, my servant will also be. That's the challenge, I think, for you and me today. In the life that you live, the life that God has given you, I know we all have different troubles. We all have different hurts. You know, people sit here at church with a face blank. There could be a heart bleeding in here somewhere and aching. I get that. But no matter what life we've been given, God has given us time. He's given us gifts and abilities that are so diverse, even in a small gathering like this. He's given us resources. And I believe what God is saying to us today is this is not about your comfort. This is not about your convenience. This is not about you beating those people out there. This is not about any of that. Yes, I love you. Yes, come to me with your problems and your hurts and your needs. Absolutely. But follow me to the cross. Because if you choose to save your life on this earth, you will lose it. But if you lose your life, if you offer up your life, if you sacrifice your life in my name, then you will gain it for all eternity. He's not talking about what we believe. He's talking about what we do. In fact, I read somewhere recently that if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, it talks exclusively about what we do. If you look at the Nicene Creed, which was put together 350-something years later, it talks exclusively about what we believe, not about what we do. Yes, it's important to have the right beliefs. Yes, it's important to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But then he calls us to take up our cross and follow him 
and be with him where he is. On that journey of sacrifice. For unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it's but one seed. But when it falls to the ground and dies, it bears much fruit. Will you follow Jesus to the cross? For the rest of your days on this earth, will you live a life of sacrifice? Doing what God's gifted you to do. Giving what God's given you to do. Sacrificing that which God is calling you to sacrifice. Even if it may cost you your life. Because that, my brothers and sisters, is where Jesus is calling us. Let's pray. Father, mind blown that Jesus would get on that donkey and ride into that assassination plot knowing what was going to happen, knowing that great big thick nails would be driven through his hands and through his feet and that he would suffer an agonizing death. Mind blown that he would do it for us while we were still sinners, while we were still in rebellion. Lord Jesus, you went to the cross for us. Lord, help us to be where you are. Help us to be true disciples who are prepared to lay down our comfort and our desires. That you may be glorified in our sacrifice. Not to be drawn by the cheers of crowds. But to know that the small hidden things that we do and even the big sacrifices that we make bring glory to you and bring others to an eternity with you. Lord, take this seed, your word, and plant it in our hearts. And let us be your disciples who yearn to be with you where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus didn't come to serve, to be served. Can you, worship came up. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve. He came to give his life as a sacrifice for us. And as we head towards Easter, brothers and sisters, let's not skate through it again. Let's not just go through the motions again. Let the, the message, the gravity of the message of the cross blow our minds and open our hearts. Because let me tell you, when, when, when I was struggling... And before I came to faith, if it hadn't have been for godly, loving Christians like you guys who loved me at a time when I was difficult to love, I wouldn't be here, literally wouldn't be here on this earth. The love that you can show, the sacrifices that you can make, God's already prepared those good works for you out there around the next corner, over the next rise. But they won't be convenient. They're going to involve sacrifice.